Our Bible reading this morning is from 2 Kings chapter 19. Uh, We are reading it in two parts. Last week was a wee bit of a stretch. So this morning, 2 Kings 19, verses 1 to 19. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words of the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received the report Terhaka, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Resaf, and the people of Eden, who are in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvim, or of Hena, or ever? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by men's hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Amen. The Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, God over all the kingdoms of the earth. 
our battle shield, our sword for the fight. We stand again to listen to our next praise item, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of our hearts, of my heart. And our reading continues at verse 20. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have heaped insults on the Lord. And you have said with, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains, the utmost heights of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choices of its pines. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet, I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you stay and when you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be a sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adram Melech 
and Sharazer cut him down with the sword, and he escaped through the land of Ararat. And Ershadan, his son, succeeded him as king. Amen. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his most holy word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Open our hearts to receive your word, that we may know you better and be more thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold, and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold, and the sheen of their spears were like stars on the sea, when the blue waves rolled nightly on deep Galilee. This is the opening stanza of the destruction of Sennacherib by Lord Byron. Just casually throwing in a little bit of culture. <laughs> it is a poem I was reminded of by one of our members last Sunday afternoon, who remember getting it at school, as I did. Others of a certain age perhaps will remember it too. The poem's based on 2 Kings 18 and 19. And the opening line has always stuck with me. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold. A line which conjures up a powerful image of a bloodthirsty wolf falling on a seemingly defensive flock of sheep. The wolf is mighty and malicious Assyria. The sheep, weak and insignificant Judah. This is the scenario as 2 Kings 19, which I invite you to turn to now, opens. Nothing has changed from chapter 18. The day is still dark. The pressure is still on. That's where I want to start. Pressure in the present, followed by prayer and response and prophecy in reply. As just said, nothing has changed in Jerusalem. All is still anguish and distress. Having heard what Rabshake has had to say and clad in sackcloth symbolizing agony and grief, King Hezekiah sends a similarly clad deputation to the prophet Isaiah with this message. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Hezekiah's words and wardrobe say the situation is desperate and we don't have the strength or the resources to face it. He paints Judah as an exhausted pregnant mother too weak to deliver her child, too weak to do anything in the face of Assyrian taunts. Sennacherib has sent Rabshakeh to ridicule the living God, we're told in verse 4. This puts Sennacherib in the same company as Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. He too ridiculed the living God. That didn't work out too well for Goliath. But Hezekiah feels no such certainty as far as Sennacherib is concerned. A maybe is all he can muster. Hezekiah says, 
It may be that the Lord your God will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Sometimes when we are fearful, a maybe is as much as we can muster. Isaiah says to Hezekiah and says to us, don't be afraid in the face of the Sennacherabs of this world. Remember me. Remember your God. Remember the great I am. This is what the Lord says is the message from Isaiah. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country and I will have him cut down with the sword. This applies to Sennacherib himself. The devastation of his army had already been predicted by Isaiah in Isaiah 14 and 25 where the word from the Lord is, I will crush, I will crush the Assyrian in my land. So God assures his people that Sennacherib will not prevail. But thus far, nothing has changed. Sennacherib has finished off Lachish and is now, is now reducing Libna to rubble. The Egyptian foray mentioned in verse 9 doesn't seem to have phased him in the slightest. And the Assyrian propaganda continues to be pumped out. Don't be religiously naive, Hezekiah. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. You know the facts of history. You know the Assyrian track record in terms of demolishing nations. You know no one has been delivered from our hands. You know how this is going to end. The pressure is still on. God's assurances have been given. But Sennacherib, like a prowling lion, is still very much on the loose. Nothing seems to have changed. And often this is the reality of Christian experience. Pressure in the present with nothing seemingly changing. Troubles press in on us. Distress pulls us down. Disappointments distract us. We know the biblical assurances of God's faithfulness. We even sing of them. We did last week. Great is thy faithfulness. But in the present, nothing changes. The pressure is still on. I say again, that often is the reality we find ourselves in. And it is not a new experience. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David cries in Psalm 13. We have the assurance of God's purposes being fulfilled. Yet still find ourselves struggling through COVID days. We have the assurance of God's word. But can still find ourselves walking in the darkness. Feeling pressure in the present. Pressure pressing in on us. Pushing us into uncomfortable places. Pushing us down. 
pushing us to prayer. We move on from pressure in the present to prayer in response. Hezekiah drops anchor in the storm. What a weapon to have in our armory. The weapon that is prayer. Stop folly that so often we leave it unused. Having received the letter from Sennacherib, Hezekiah went to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before him. In desperation, Hezekiah lays the situation before the Lord. Look, Lord, this is where we are. This is the fix we're in. This is beyond us. To paraphrase the words of Psalm 55 and verse 22, Hezekiah casts his cares upon the Lord, for there's nothing else he can do. This prayer is a disclosure of Hezekiah's helplessness. Helplessness is not something many of us want to admit to. But it's the best place to start in prayer. The prayer, the place from which we can openly and unreservedly speak with God about our needs. But not before we acknowledge who it is we're coming before. O Lord God of Israel, enthroned among the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth, is how Hezekiah begins. And in one verse, he confesses that he comes before a God who is near and vast and mighty, a God who is accessible, sovereign and able. And this is not only very true, it's also very helpful. How helpful for Hezekiah, how helpful for you, how helpful for me to remember God's majesty, his sovereign power, as we request his help. How do we begin our prayers? Do we pause to consider our God? Pause to give him his place. Pause to bow before him before we bring our needs before him. As Hezekiah now does, Give ear, open your eyes, listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. There's a real element of complaint here. There is real intensity in Hezekiah. Because this matters. Because God matters. This is something which should not be. No one should be talking about the living God in such disparaging terms. God is the focus of Hezekiah's prayer. Do we bring anything of that as we pray? How much of our prayers focus on God? In his prayer, Hezekiah declares two truths. First, 
It is true that the Assyrians have laid waste all these nations and done for their gods. But then truth number two, they were not real gods, but only wood and stone. Truth two trumps truth one. In all her conquests, Assyria hasn't encountered a real God because there is only one, the one Sennacherib is now ridiculing. The God Sennacherib, until this point, has never encountered. The one and only living God. And so hope stirs. As Hezekiah gets a fresh glimpse of who it is he is praying to. And hope can stir in us as well. As we in prayer, catch a fresh, a fresh glimpse of who it is we are praying to and see things for what they are because we see a little more of the breathtaking being, the awesome God who in mystery of all mysteries desires our presence, delights as we draw near him which is what Hezekiah now does with his petition. Deliver us. Prayer in response to terror at the gates is direct and to the point, but it does not end there. The most important bit is still to come. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. The Lord God's deliverance of Jerusalem will magnify his reputation throughout the world. Dozens of deities have fallen before Sennacherib and his god Asher. Their comeuppance will make the world sit up and take notice. Take notice of the God of Israel. Hezekiah's petition does, of course, have his eye on his trouble, but also on God's glory. As we pray, do we have an eye on God's glory? Do we desire God's glory? Desire it with a passion? Pressure in the present, prayer and response. Pressure and prayer should never be far away. Prayer was Hezekiah's response to pressure. Is it ours? Has the pandemic produced more prayer in us? Prayer that is, yes, concerned that the pressures be lifted, but also that God will be glorified. Prayer that is real. Prayer that reaches God. Prayer that is heard. The one and only living God hears and answers our prayers. What an incentive to pray. Hezekiah does and utters a prayer that gets a reply. Pressure in the present, prayer in response, prophecy in reply. Isaiah assures Hezekiah that God has heard his prayer. Verse 20. And the prophecy that, con that constitutes his reply dominates the rest of the chapter. 
Isaiah's prophetic word breaks down into three sections dealing with arrogance in verses 20 to 28, discouragement in 29 and 31, and fear in 33 and 34. Firstly, the arrogance, the arrogance of Sennacherib. And from the outset, Sennacherib is firmly put in his place. A virgin daughter, a mere slip of a girl, mocks him as he flees. Then his sin is specified. Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. As you've heard, as you've probably heard more than once, certainly I think I can remember Bruce saying it once. You may have said it more than once, Bruce. My memory is not as, <laughs> as it used to be. But it has been said often that sin, S-I-N, has I in the centre. And that is so true of Sennacherib. I have, I have, I have, I have. Five times in two verses, his arrogance is laid bare. I have, he says. I have done this, I have done that. He has magnified himself before the Holy One of Israel. He does not know who he's dealing with. And his ignorance is exposed in verses 25 and 26. Have you not heard? They begin. Well, no. Because Sennacherib doesn't have ears to hear. But now he's set straight. Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Sennacherib can boast all he wants. But the fact is he's only carrying out what the Lord God decided he should do. Like many kings, Sennacherib aspired to be godlike and raged against anything and anyone who stood in his way. But in the end, he's pictured in verse 28 as a beast of burden led by the nose. No matter who it is, no matter apparent status, no matter power possessed, not knowing who you are dealing with with regard to the living God can have dire and disastrous and eternal consequences. The living God, who in John Calvin's words, has once for all decreed before the creation of the world what he will do. This, to give it its big name, is predestination which some folks have problems with. But basically, in Christians, it is intended to produce comfort. The comfort of knowing that we have a God who is big enough never to be surprised by the Sennacherabs of any age. And that can be a great comfort as we watch fearful evening news bulletins to know that we have a big God who is, never who is never surprised by what is coming. But God's word 
to Hezekiah the reply to prayer does not only deal with Sennacherib's arrogance, but also with Jerusalem's discouragement and fear. In verses 29 and 32, Isaiah proclaims a sign to Jerusalem, one for the near future, not for the immediate present. This year you will eat what grows by itself, in the second year what springs from that, but in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The land has been devastated by the Assyrian invader. When the Lord God delivers Jerusalem, how will the people eat? The sign answers that question. By the time the third year came and Judean farmers were planting their crops, they might realize that God's word was coming true. But that survival looks highly unlikely. Just now, it looks like a mere pipe dream. However, God's reply to Hezekiah's prayer tells how this will come to pass. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will see this done, no matter what, because his people matter to him. We live in a world in the grip of a pandemic, afflicted by climate change, a world in which the promises of God may appear laughable, a world in which many of our brothers and sisters in Christ struggle to survive. But it is these very brothers and sisters who look to the Lord in faith and continue to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Believing in their God, believing that they matter to him in a world gone wrong, a world we're called to pray for. Join our prayers with the prayers of God's people in so many seemingly hopeless situations around the world, praying that their prayers will be answered, praying that in some small way we may be a part of the answer to their prayers, praying because we believe that God's people matter to him, that we matter to him, believing that the Lord Almighty can accomplish this. The prophet then adds another assurance meant to quieten their fears. Sennacherib's return to his own land will be before he can lay even a finger on Jerusalem. He will not enter the city, shoot an arrow against it, bring on his infantry with their shields, or start moving earth for a siege ramp. Sennacherib will simply go home. Cheerio, cheerio, cheerio. For God will defend the city and save it, we're told in verse 34. He, not Sennacherib, will surround the city. Do that to show supremacy in the face of Assyrian arrogance. But also, as we read, for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of God's covenant to maintain David's royal line until a new David appears, the one who in the words of Isaiah 9 and verse 7 will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, we read in Isaiah 9. Echoing these words in Isaiah 9, in 2 Kings 19. Verses linked to other words that we read. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant 
and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors, pointing beyond the near future to the further future. The word remnant always has, a, always has far-reaching resonances in Scripture, looking beyond immediate experiences to the fact that the Lord will always preserve a people for himself. Those who follow David's greater son, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, those who will be the people of his pasture, the sheep who know his voice, those whose fears and tremblings he never forgets. As he calms the fears of his people in the 8th century BC, so he can also do so in the 21st century. Pandemic or no pandemic, we are God's people. We matter to him. He will not remove his hand from us. Assurances to God's people. But now he deals with Sennacherib, whose great folly is in reviling the Lord God. As already said, that will have disastrous consequences. And so we come to the climax of both chapters. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. The latter part of the verse reads a bit oddly, but probably refers to those Assyrians who survived. What were they thinking as they broke camp and withdrew? What was Sennacherib thinking? That we do not know. What we do know is what we're told as the passage concludes. We're told that Sennacherib returned to Nineveh and stayed there. And one day while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramalach and Sharazir cut him down with the sword. That tells us that Sennacherib was still worshipping his God. A God of stone and wood. Rather than the living God who hears and answers prayer. In 2 Kings 18, his commander Rabshake, standing before Jerusalem, had called to the people, choose life and not death. It was good advice. Not, of course, in the way that Rabshake intended it. Rabshake meant choose life in Assyria rather than life with God. That's the way that Sennacherib chose to go. And it led to that day in the temple. In fulfillment of what Isaiah had declared. He will return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down by the sword. The last verse of our passage tends, intends to show the certainty of God's word. The certainty of God's word. For Sennacherib and for us. For good or ill. What God's word says will come to pass. 
the God who's revealed to us in this chapter. The Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, who alone is God over all the kingdoms of the earth. The God who's at work in the world amidst pressures in the present. Whose word of assurance we have to hold on to, even as nothing seems to change. Responding in prayer, knowing the God that he is. A God who's accessible, sovereign and able. The God who hears and answers prayer, as he does in 2 Kings 19. Replying in prophecy. Putting the arrogant Sennacherib in his place. Declaring that before ever Sennacherib was even a blip on the screen of history. God had ordained his victories and conquests. And this chapter has revealed the God who controls history. But also who cares for his people. In their discouragements and fears. The God who will always preserve a people for himself. The God who through his word brings about deliverance for Jerusalem and the demise of Sennacherib. The God Byron spoke of like this as he concluded his poem. And the might of the Gentiles unsmote by the sword has melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. The might of man and the might of God have no contest. Be they Sennacherib or any other, we have to know who we're dealing with. That we might choose life and not death. I think Byron's words are worth repeating as we close. And the might of the Gentiles, unsmote by the sword, has melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and join our hearts together in praise through the words of glory be to God the Father, glory be to God the Son. Let's stand. Let's pray. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has shown us such love and in grace has given us such unfailing encouragement and so sure of hope still encourage and strengthen us in every good deed and word. And the blessing of God Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with each one of us and remain with us, both now and forevermore. Amen.